in every way you can imagine. And I want to read a verse to you today. If you want to turn to the book of Psalms chapter 34. Psalms chapter 34. Very short verse. Easy one to learn. It's one something that we all ought to be doing. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You again, Lord, for this opportunity to be here and to be able to preach Your Word. And dear Lord, I pray that it will speak to hearts. Dear Lord, I pray that You'll use this message, Lord, and it can help make a difference in the lives of people here today, Lord. Help them to realize just how good of a God You are. And help us, Lord, not to magnify anything above You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. You know, to magnify something, it means, it means to make large. One of the ways that we can magnify God here today is we magnify Him through our singing. We sing praises to Him. Uh, we magnify Him also though when we talk about Him. When we discuss the goodness of God, when we talk about His greatness, when uh, we, we talk about Him like He is bigger than everything else, like He is the powerful God, that he is, but also when we use that word magnify when we're trying to get a closer look at something. You've all seen a magnifying glass before. You take that magnifying glass and you use it to try to get a closer look at something. You want to see it better. You want to get you want to get a little more detail on it. And I believe that that's something that we ought to do with God. We want to get as close of a look as we can. As, I mean, just as close as possible. So many people today are running from God. They don't. They're hiding their eyes to Him. But that shouldn't be our attitude. We should be trying to get as close to Him as we can to get the best look possible. And because when we do that, the closer we get to God, the more we look into Him, the more we're going to realize just how powerful He is. The less we're going to be worrying about things, and the less we're going to be doubting Him. It's going to help in pretty much every area of our life. But today, I want to talk about magnifying. The wrong things. There are some. There, there are four things I want to look at that many times that we magnify, really in a sense, over Jesus Christ. And I know none of us mean to do that, but it's very easy to do if we're not careful. And one thing that I think that we magnify way too big sometimes is our sin. Now, hear me out. Our sin is a huge deal. Okay, our sin is what separates us from God. It's because of sin that Jesus Christ had to go and die on a cross. Sin is a huge deal. Sin is the cause of all the pain and the things that the things that we're going through in this world. It was all brought into the world by sin. But many times, we magnify it above His sacrifice. We magnify our sin over His sacrifice. There are many people today who when you talk to them about salvation, they'll say, I can't get saved. You don't know what I've done. You know what they're saying? Their sin is too great. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. Let me tell you, you cannot, you should not magnify your sin over His sacrifice. That sacrifice that Jesus made, it was enough to cover anyone's sins. He can save anybody. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I'm here to tell you today that your sin is a big deal. That your sin is a huge problem. That your sin, it's red like crimson. Your sin, I mean, we're dirty. Our righteousness is as a filthy rag. We are sinners. We deserve to go to hell. Our sin is huge. 
It's a huge deal, but I'm here to tell you today that there was a sacrifice that was made 2,000 years ago that trumps anything that you've ever done. That Jesus Christ, His blood, it can cleanse you from any sin. He can save the worst sinner that there ever is and ever was. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you want to turn over there, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I want to read. I want to read some portion of scripture here to you. There are so many verses we could have used to talk about this, but it says, "And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping." And began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. And then he goes and he gives a parable of Somebody who owed a great debt. And that's a wonderful parable. And we see how he forgave that debt. And let me tell you something. It was true that this woman that was there washing the feet of Jesus, she was a sinner. In fact, she was a great sinner, it says. They were right about that. They were right on the money. But one thing that these men were looking at, when they were looking at her, they were magnifying her sin over Jesus Christ's forgiving power. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ, He was willing to forgive her. Jesus Christ saved this woman from her sin. And yes, she didn't deserve it. Yes, she did not deserve to be anywhere near Jesus Christ. She didn't even deserve to wash the privilege of washing His feet. She didn't deserve that for one second. But you know what? He allowed her to do it because He'll forgive you of anything. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He loved us even though we were sinners. He, our sin, while it is a big deal, His sacrifice, it took care of all that. He took care of the sins of this sinful woman. He took care of my sins and He took care of your sins. And let me tell you, there's some horrible stuff that people have done. There's a lot of horrible stuff going on in the world today. Things that we just you can't even mention. You don't even want to talk about. It's so horrible. But I'm here today to tell you that there is a Savior that can save you no matter what you've done. There is no sin that's so great that He can't save you or that He won't forgive you. The Apostle Paul, he said he referred himself as the chief of sinners. God even forgave him. God will forgive anyone. But we don't ever magnify your sin over His sacrifice. When we get a closer look in the Word of God at the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary, the more you'll realize that your sins can be taken care of. Your sins can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for that. But also another thing that we magnify many times too greatly is our failures. Listen, uh, we don't want to fail. It's bad when we fail. We ought to strive not to fail. We ought to strive to do our best not to make those mistakes, but the truth is we're going to. And many times we magnify our failures over His forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. This is talking about even after we're saved that we can approach the throne boldly. You know the song we sang, it's, it's based off the story of the prodigal son. But you notice in that story how when he just finally decided, I want to go back to my father. He said he went back with the attitude of, I just, I want, I'm just going to go and ask if I can be a servant. My father's servants do better than I'm doing right now. And he went back, he, he went back just to be a servant. He had no idea though how forgiving his father was going to be. He had no idea that his father was going to restore him to that position that he had before as a son. And he put that robe on him and he gave him in that ring. And yes, he had failed, but his father forgave him. And Jesus is the same way. And you know what? There are times that I just think about my failures and think, Lord, why do you even want to use me? Lord, why, why do you continue, you know, putting up with me? Lord, why? And sometimes we can even get to thinking that there are certain things that we, we can never do. There are places that we can never get to because we've just failed too many times and we've just killed our relationship with God forever. But I'm telling you, you come back to Him. You ask for forgiveness. You'll be surprised at what He'll do. He'll give you more than you ever asked for. It says that we can approach the throne boldly. Listen, there's been times I've went and I've had to ask for forgiveness and I was scared. Because I didn't know what kind of response I was going to get. I knew I deserved an ugly response. I knew I deserved for that person to probably punch me in the nose. But you know what? Sometimes there's been times I've been surprised. And people they have that forget they give that forgiveness. And there's been other times I got what I deserved probably. But you know what? With Jesus Christ, he says that we can approach boldly, knowing that we're going to be able to obtain mercy. And what a wonderful, wonderful blessing that is, and what a privilege that is to be able to have that. Lamentations chapter three, verse twenty two. It says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his passions compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful to forgive you. He will He will do that. Listen, I even you've been you may have been saved a long time and you've messed up and you've got away from God and you're thinking it's too late. You know, it's it's a lot of times we understand how God forgives the sinners and how He'll save He'll save them. It's like we understand that, but we think that after we get saved, God's not going to forgive us anymore. Listen, He keeps on forgiving. And even after we get saved, we need to keep on asking for that forgiveness. We need to keep on going to Him for forgiveness because we constantly fail. We constantly mess up. We have problems, but He's faithful to forgive us. And don't ever magnify your failures over His forgiveness. I don't know what your failures are, but I do know that God can still use you and that He'll still forgive you whatever you've done in the past. Don't, do not magnify the failures. People, though, get, they'll obsess over them. It'll, it'll get them down to the point where they just they, they give up. They don't even want to go. They don't want to go to church anymore. They don't want to even try serving God anymore. They think I can never be used. They don't. Uh, they don't understand just how forgiving God is. Just come back. Come back to Him. You'll be surprised at what He'll do. But also another thing we tend to magnify is we magnify our weaknesses over His will. Exodus chapter three. Uh, verse 10 says, Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I love this passage here. God's telling Moses, He said, Moses, I'm going to use you to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses, he wanted that. Boy, he was praying for it. He wanted God to deliver His children out of Egypt. But then God tells him, Moses, I'm going to use you. And then in verse 11, Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? So, 
who am I? Why are you asking me? Moses realized that he, he was a flawed individual. We know that Moses had a temper. We, we know the story about him killing uh, that Egyptian. We know that Moses wasn't a very good speaker. We know, that, uh, we know Moses had a temper too from the time he went and he smote the rock. Moses had some serious flaws. Moses, truly, he, he did have some weaknesses that in our eyes and in his eyes, definitely he, he didn't qualify for this challenge. I mean, you think about this. I mean, this was probably uh, one of the greatest challenges you can imagine. They say it was probably over 2 million Jews. 2 million griping, complaining Jews that Moses had to lead out of Egypt. And, and, I mean, and Egypt was a world power at this time. Moses knew what it was like. He lived in Egypt. He was one of them for a long time. Moses knew that he didn't have a chance to do this. And he, Moses, he says, he asks a question, who am I? I tell you, I've asked that question many times in my life. There are things that I've, you know, the, you know, the Lord has ministries and things that He's put me in. And it, you know what? It's all, everything that I've always kind of done, it's just kind of happened. It kind of got thrown on me. You know, I never really pursued it. It just, it just happened. And, uh, you know, and I always would think, Lord, why are you asking me to do this? I, I can think of so many people that are better than me at this very thing. And I've asked the same question, but notice what Moses, he goes and he says, who am I? And then God says, in verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God said, I'll be with thee. He didn't, you know what? Moses, or God did not go to Moses and say, listen, here's what's going to happen. We're going to, I'm going to take you there to Egypt. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And I'm going to start sending all these plagues. It's just going to devastate Egypt. And then finally, after I send that tenth plague and I kill all the firstborns, Pharaoh's going to say, enough's enough. And then he's going to go. And he's going to let you go. But then he's going to change his mind. And then you guys are going to be back against the Red Sea. I'm going to open up the waters. And then he's going to come chasing after you. I'm going to drown Pharaoh. God didn't go and tell him everything he was going to do, did he? God doesn't work that way. What did he say? He said, I'll be with you. Certainly, I'll be with you. What are you worrying about? I'm going to be with you. He, and it's almost Moses. I think in a way here, I think he insulted God. You know why Moses was magnifying his weakness above the will of God. God said, "I want you to do this." Moses said, "I'm too weak. I can't do that." Listen, if it's God's will for you to do something, He'll give you the strength to do it. And also, if you think that you're qualified to do something, you might not be the person that God wants to use. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine and ten. The Apostle Paul, he had a problem. He had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know for sure what it was. But he had something that made things difficult for him. And he prayed three times that God would remove that thorn from his flesh. But it says in verse 9, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, when we get ourselves to a position where we'll admit we're weak, but God is strong, and we start focusing on His ability and not our own ability, then now God can He can really do a work now. That's what happened here with Paul. God said, "My strength is made perfect in weakness." You know what? If if God would have, you know, if God would have called somebody here to start this church that was just the most eloquent, most intelligent, most good-looking, and all those things, then it would have been no surprise whenever things turned out good here, and if a great work was started here. 
But you know what? God didn't do that. He sent me. And my verse, my verse for that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Now let me tell you, if something happens here, it's going to be God that gets the glory. People are going to know, I, I, I'm going to give God the glory. I tell you, the things that He's already done, I give God the glory for every bit of that. I could not have... I could not have made this happen in my own ability. I have not got that. And Moses, he got to looking at his own abilities. But then uh, go over to Exodus chapter 4, if, uh, in verse 10, God goes and he's, he does some miracles right there for Moses. He's trying to show them, you know, and he's, he's showing Moses that, you know, this is okay, that this is what I want you to do, and this is going to work. But then in Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, I mean, Moses is making God mad. Moses keeps on talking about himself. You know what Moses is doing? He's magnifying himself. He's magnifying his weaknesses over the will of God. Moses was absolutely right in everything that he said about himself, but God just keeps telling him, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your mouth. You're not, this isn't going, this isn't going to be you. It wasn't just Moses. It wasn't Moses that led them out of Egypt. It was God. Moses could not have parted the Red Seas. Moses could not have turned the water into blood and done all those other things that had happened. It was God that did every bit of that stuff. And I'm here to tell you today that there's going to, there's probably going to come a time in your life where God may call you to do something that you feel like you're completely incapable of doing. And that's the perfect time to say, you know what? I'm just going to trust God. Lord, You promised to be with me. Let me tell you, there's been a lot of challenges and things even starting this church, but my attitude has been, you know what, I've been so confident that this is what God has called me to do. I've just been trusting Him and one prayer after another just keeps getting answered. One door after another keeps being opened. And let me tell you, there's still a few things that I'm not real sure how they're going to work out, but I do believe and I do know that God is going to be with me. And while there are things that are too big for me to handle, I know God can do it. I know I have some weaknesses. I know I, I, I know it. I know what they are. Please don't tell me what they are. I already know about it. And I don't want to be reminded. But I'm here to tell you that it's not about me, about me. It's not about my weaknesses. It's about God. He can overcome that stuff. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Then finally, the last thing. We magnify many times our obstacles over His omnipotence. That word omnipotence means all-powerful. Infinite power. Understand, this God that we're talking about, a lot of times, you know, I don't believe in using the images and things of Jesus and stuff because a lot of times it gives us a false idea really of who He is. And you know, we've seen so many pictures of Jesus on the cross and that's really all we see about God. But when we look in the Bible, we're talking about a God who in Genesis... It goes in Genesis one. It talks about how he spake everything into existence. He just he spoke it, and it was so. He said, "Let there be light," and there was light. I think it's it's fascinating in Genesis chapter one when it talks about how he made the stars. It says he made the stars also. That's all it says about it. 
Think about our universe that we live in. I mean, we can't even fathom the size of our universe and just all that's out there. I mean, it's, it's more than we can comprehend. But when God's talking about it, when He's inspiring uh, Moses to write down about the creation, uh, he go, go ahead and throw a little mention, yeah, I made the stars also. No big deal for God. Okay, that's that's the that's the God that we serve. Okay, Jesus, we he's he's God. Okay, this is not a sissy God. He is a all powerful, omnipotent God, all power, infinite power. Matthew chapter twenty one verse twenty one says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Moving mountains? What in the world is that? What's that all about there? Whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. You know what he's trying to tell them here is that I have the power to do anything. And if you will just trust me. And listen, I don't know why we don't trust him. I can't, in my own life, there are so many times when I doubt God. When sometimes I'll even pray for things. I remember when we, when we found this building. And we were, man, we started, we were praying about it. We, we, we wanted it so bad. We, we just loved this place. And we, we were praying about it and it was looking like it wasn't going to work. Somebody had already made an offer on it and it had been accepted. They, I mean, they had a closing date. Everything was good to go. They said, it's too late. It's a done deal. And so we just, we were here and I, I told my wife, I said, I think God wants us to have this place. And I remember I prayed and I was here and I, I believed it. I believed it, and I said, "I think I think God's going to give us this place. Everything's His anyway. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If He wants us to have it, it's not going to be a big deal for Him to give give us this place." And so we prayed about it. We were telling other people about it, telling them to pray. We found a building. We'd been looking so hard for a place to meet in, and we were we were praying about it. But June eleventh, it was supposed to close, and it was going to be. Then it was it was over. We didn't have a chance. And we just kept praying about it. And June 11th, I got a phone call saying that the deal had fallen through. And you know what? I'm sad and I'm ashamed to say that my words were, you're kidding. I don't believe it. And then later I thought, what have I been praying about for the last month? And you know, we do that many times. We'll go and we'll pray for things and then it's like God surprises us when He answers it. And you know what? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a surprise. And let me tell you, God's increased my faith in so many areas. And I'm not going to. I'm not saying it's perfect, but there's been several things that God has done. Where I mean, He He works out these miracles, and you know, I'm getting less and less surprised. So I guess I'm getting better, but still, sometimes I'm surprised. And you know what? We shouldn't be. We have a very powerful God that can do anything. You shouldn't be surprised when He saves somebody. Let me tell you, there's people that I know that. Others thought that person could never get saved. That person will never go to church. That person will never straighten out their life. Uh, You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what the power of prayer can do in somebody's life. You'd be surprised how it could literally change the course of history. You'd be surprised. We have a powerful God. Philippians 1.6 says, "...being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." If God starts something in your life, He's going to be there to finish it. 
There's going to be things, there's going to be challenges that are going to come up, but I'm here to tell you that God can help you overcome those things. He can remove those mountains. He can get, He can get rid of any of those obstacles, or He can help you get over them. You know, most of the time that's what we do as Christians. We overcome them. If you read the book, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, it constantly says, to him that overcometh. To him that overcometh. Most people today, whenever they face something in their life, they face an obstacle that some kind of roadblock comes up. They immediately quit and say, I'm done. That's it. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. God can help you get over that. It might look like it's too big. You might think, I can't possibly get over that. But you would be surprised what God can do if you just trust Him. We have a powerful God. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Paul realized that I have, I can do great things for God. I don't have to be limited because I have a great God. He's the one that I get my strength from. And listen, there are going to be challenges. There are ministries I'd love to see get started in that church. I can't wait. I can't wait to see how God uses this church to have an impact on a community. But a lot of times... People think a church can't have that big of an impact on a community. Uh, you, not if we start trusting God. Not if we let God do a work through us. You'd be surprised what He could do. He can, he can overcome anything. Many times people will get to looking at those obstacles and they look at those things that are in their way and they say, there's no way I can possibly get over that. They look at the obstacles in their own life. They look at their, they look at their weaknesses and they say, there's just not a chance. There's, there's no way. I could ever do that. Listen, I never thought that I would be able to pastor a church. I was content doing what I was doing for a long time. And God started speaking to me about it. And He started speaking to me specifically about starting a church. And I thought, I don't want to do that. My dad started our church 23 years ago. And I remember that wasn't an easy thing. I don't know if I want to do it like that. Some friends of mine had started churches and and it was it, it was hard and I thought man that's I, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I can do that I don't know if I have the personality I don't know if I have I don't know if I just have the the endurance or the well you know I, I don't have any of that stuff but the Lord made it clear that that was what He wanted me to do and I I started claiming I've just been claiming verses from the Bible you know a great habit to get into is just with anything you do. With any decision you make, have a verse to kind of go along with that. Start claiming the Scriptures. Start When you read your Bible, don't just read it just to say you read it. Read it and ask God to show you something that you can more that you can do in your life. Maybe something that you need to change or something that you need to add to your life. And when you do that, God can start doing great things. He can start working miracles in ways that you can't even imagine. But so many times... We magnify all the wrong things. We get so focused on the challenges. We get so focused on the weaknesses. We get so focused on our failures that we forget all about who it is we're serving. That first verse we read says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. We're supposed to magnify Him. And I'm here to tell you, when you get a closer look at Him in your life, I encourage. that's why we encourage you to pray. That's why we encourage you to read the Bible and go to church. Do what you can to get closer to God. Because the closer you get, the more the closer you see, the more you're going to realize everything's okay. You know, Moses, he was a man who was very close to God. We see there's a story in the Bible. I I, just, I think it's fascinating about Moses when he went up into the mountain and he got to see God let him see his back parts. It says Moses saw the back parts of God. And you remember what happened after that? Moses, when he came down from the mountain, Moses' face 
It shone, the Bible says. It was shining. It was glowing. So much that people couldn't even look at Moses. He had to put a veil over his face. They couldn't handle it. That was just from seeing the back parts of God. It had that kind of a physical impact on Moses. And I know we're not going to get we're not going to get to see the back parts of God, but we can get as close as we can. God's shown us everything He wants us to know through His Word. God's going to He'll show you things too through experiences uh, that you go through and through uh, through different things in your life. God will reveal Himself to you. And I'm here to tell you that the more you look at God and the closer you get to look at Him, I mean, you can never you, you can never get too close. I heard, uh, I I enjoy a good theory on something from the Bible. And I didn't come up with this. But I heard a preacher say one time what he believes happened with Moses. You know, the Bible says with Moses that when he died, he was 120 years old. And it says, His eye was not dim, neither were his natural forces abated. Moses, he was perfectly healthy even at 120 years old, but he died. Why did he die? How did he die? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible says, though, that it was the Lord that buried him. God buried him somewhere on Mount Nebo. Nobody knows. Nobody knows where it's at. I heard one preacher say one time that he believes that Moses, after seeing the back parts of God, I mean, what an experience that had to have been. I don't know about you, but if that had been me, I'd have been probably wanting to do that again. I don't know. I'd have wanted. I'd want to see. I'd want to see more. And I don't know, but I can just picture Moses. Maybe just every once in a while, when him and God are talking to each other, like, Lord, can I get a glimpse again? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see again, Lord. In the flesh, what I would love. To see you. But you all know what happens if we were to see God and His glory. It would kill us. We would die. And one preacher, he says he believes that God took Moses out there in the Mount of Nebo. They got all by themselves where nobody else was around. And he believes that he God went and gave Moses a look. And it killed him. But let me tell you, what a way to go. What a way to go. There's a lot of horrible ways to die. But man, can you imagine if that... And I don't know if that's what God did. But I can't imagine ever just seeing the back parts of God and not wanting to see it again and not wanting to see more. And I'm here to tell you that the more you get to magnifying God, the closer you get to looking at Him, the more you're going to want to see. And let me tell you, we can never, we can never exhaust the Word of God. This Bible that we has there is so much in it. You can never learn everything there is to know about God. You can, there, there is just so much to it. And I hope you'll get hungry for it. And I hope you'll magnify the Lord with me. I hope you'll exalt. We can exalt His name together because we do have a great God. And just look at Him closely, and it'll make all those other things seem like nothing. The song "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus" says, "Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace." I believe what the Bible says that when we see Satan, or talk, it was when he, uh, the fall of Satan, it says that they that see thee will narrowly look upon thee and will say, you know, is this the one that did shake the kingdoms? Is this the one? You know, I, believe, I, I, I didn't quote that exactly right, but I personally believe that when we see Satan, we're going to look at him and we're going to say, how did that guy ever fool any of us? How did that guy ever cause us to. Go against God? How did we ever listen to Him above God? And I believe the reason we're going to have that attitude is because at that point, we will have seen God. And when we see God, everything else will be like, why did we ever doubt? Why did we ever doubt? And But you know what? God has told us that that's the way it's going to be. So you know what? We might as well start living like that right now. 
So magnify the Lord. Let's, let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Ask Bethany to come.